Welcome to the Better Questions Podcast. I'm so happy to be here. My name is Matt. This is a podcast where we seek to ask better questions and we wrestle with difficult ones. I'm here with my good friend, Mike. Mike, I think uh, Mike Jaderson, he's a, you're a pastor, campus pastor at Friends University. I think we met, was it 2010? Yeah. At cul- culinary school? I remember I was I was basting a lamb shank. Yep. And yep. I I look no, over right. and I said, "Hey, Mike, pass the paprika." That's what you said. And, and you threw the paprika. Do you remember? But the lid wasn't all the way on. It, and it flew everywhere. Everywhere. It just got all oh, over my face, was, all over the floor. It was a mess. It was a mess. So yeah. uh, I still caught it though. I was like Justin Jefferson diving catch. It was amazing. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, we became friends, and you know, for a while there, we were just golfing buddies. And um, wow, it's it's almost as if none of this is even remotely true. Yeah, no, I, I'm here with my brother Mike. I did not meet him in culinary school, and I actually met him when he was born in the great state of Minnesota. Yeah. Oh yeah, Waconia Hospital, and. Uh, Mike, tell us, tell the listeners real quick before we dive in, what do you do? And what do, I think I butchered your job title. So what, what do you do? I am currently the director of campus ministries at Friends University. So I get to work with college students, uh, try to mentor, shepherd, um, be a, a presence on campus for college students. Uh, but this is fun for me because... I don't know if you know this, Matt. I actually worked at Eastminster for oh, eight and a half years. Yeah. I do know Fun this. Fun fact. Uh, we used to work together. We had offices next door. It was a good, oh, a good it was run. Oh, good times. Um, it was really good times. Really good times. Mike, it's great to have you. We used to have a podcast uh, back in the day, so we're no stranger to this medium. It's good to be back recording. Um we're going to dive right in, and we've got some questions that have been sent Can in. you say we're going to dive right in after all of the banter that has just taken place? <laughs> just cut all the <laughs> No, I'm just saying, that doesn't even make sense. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to dive right in <laughs> after 12 minutes of making up culinary school stories. I love uh, it. It'd be I was, perfect. I was, I was thinking on the way over, I'm like, I can't just say you're my brother. It doesn't yeah, make you're sense. Right. No, that's true. We're, so, our yeah, our relationship funny. is so much more than a brotherhood. <laughs> All right. Question number one. I don't know how I transition here. I just sip my coffee really loud into the mic. I'm sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> Ideal. Okay, these, these, are, these are anonymous questions. Um, all of these are? Not all of them. Okay. But the first one is. And okay. It's, I'm really I'm shifting gears here because it's kind of a personal question all right the question is i deal with a lot of anxiety and inner negativity how do i find more peace in my life Mm. yeah i don't know yeah yeah good question what's the next (laughs) (laughs) dang it Um, no i'm just kidding that's all right i shouldn't joke about that one yeah that's okay you know sometimes you have to laugh yeah okay so the question is it is. I deal with a lot of anxiety and inner negativity. Mm. How do I find more peace in my life? Yeah. You know, this is a, a good question. And I think it's a question that's being asked by a ton of people. Um, I know 
being in youth ministry, that anxiety, um, inner negativity, depression, etc., is yeah. rampant. Um, we live in an anxious world and in an anxious age. Um, we probably have our own stories. I know I could share a bit about my story of, of anxiety, inner negativity. Um, so this is a, a deep and difficult question. Um, I guess, you know, part of the podcast, if I remember right, is trying to wrestle with the questions and ask some better ones or to ask maybe some more questions. Yeah. Um, and so maybe the first question to ask is um, what, uh, what is the source mm -hmm. of the anxiety or inner negativity? Um, what is the, uh, the trigger? What is the um, cause? Yeah. You know, to look at some contextual types of situations and, and try to understand that. Um, and maybe what are the narratives? Uh, that's a word that we use a lot in Friends and especially I, I did my master's at Friends in Spiritual Formation. And there was this idea of narratives that these are the stories that we tell ourselves about how we interpret the world, how we um, come to believe what we believe and Oftentimes we have these narratives that are based in untruths. Um, I am, you know, I am evil. I am um, an idiot. I am not worthy of love. Yeah. I am, or even narratives about God, that God does not see me. God does not know me. Um, God isn't um, pursuing me. I mean, whatever it may be, we, had, we develop these narratives over time. And so then I would guess that some of the inner negativity um, a lot of times has to do with maybe going to these narratives of, of um, when we're in a situation where something in our life doesn't go well, we don't get the job, we don't, you know, pass the test. Um, instead of being in a safe and secure environment where we, we feel like we can fail or feel like that we can go through these hard times we we rely on these um ulterior ways of of thinking about the world and uh that can be i think some of the cause of anxiety um but so the remind me the questions is how do i find peace is yeah right? yeah i don't know what do you think matt i was just thinking about uh, i forget where i heard the lecture um, but they were talking about how in our current culture, um, we're living in a time, what they're calling the great unraveling. Yeah. And essentially what, what they meant by it <clears throat> was that we have had more historical, impactful events happen in a very um, tight moment of time. And they think a lot of it has to do with the rise in the digital age, and there's all kinds of correlations there. Um, but what's happening for a lot of people is that everyone is running on like a low level anxiety. Yep. And I'm not talking about, because uh, I, I would say this, there is clinically um, diagnosed anxiety yeah. where I think there are people who need like medication is a good thing. And, and that's, that's something that um, is a real thing people struggle with. What I'm talking about is more this like low 
hum of anxiousness that I think was exacerbated during the uh, pandemic and the lockdown, uh, but continues to just sort of run in our culture. Um, there was a uh, journalist named Thomas Friedman. He writes about it. He called it uh, that we live in an age of anxiety. And part of, um, part of the reason why is because everything is just like this breakneck speed. Like, like information is on our phones. When, when the missiles were flying into Ukraine uh, mm-hmm. from Russia, we were seeing videos of it instantly. Yeah. When um, the riots were happening at the Capitol, like we were turning on our TVs and like our phones are blowing up and this thing's happening in real time. It's in our face. We're not hearing about it from a newspaper the next day. We're not reading about it. You know, we're, we're getting it right away. And there's this sociologist, Neil Postman, He's a cultural commentator. Uh, he said uh, there is a, um, it's the, he called it the information to action ratio. All these things are happening. We can't really do anything about it because it's far away. Um, I used this illustration in an earlier podcast, but it's like if you and I live in a local town and we're at the supermarket and um, you, you heard from someone that like, hey, did you hear that there's a fire at Jerry's barn? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, let's go, let's go over there. We would literally walk over to Jerry's barn and help put it out. Where in our culture, you know, what do we do? Well, a lot of people will virtue signal on social media. They'll say my thoughts and prayers with so-and-so, another school shooting. Like, it feels like we get a new one each week. I just read about one in St. Louis. That's horrifying. And so you've got information overload all the time. And I think part of the at least in my observation in, in my own life is instead of sort of allowing our feelings to exist, we, we cope by feeling with more information or, or yeah. more stimulus, like back to the phone, back to the dopamine hit. Right. Let's numb it as opposed to actually experience the feelings. And my experiences are more with depression than anxiety. But for me, it's like, I would rather numb the feeling than embrace the feeling in the moment. And so I wonder a little bit if a part of it, and I don't know a person who asked this question um, specifically, but I know for me, finding peace has a lot to do with like coming to grips with the reality of my emotions instead of numbing or coping. Yeah. Um, And that looks different for every person, obviously with negative coping mechanisms. But for me, it's like, put my phone in my drawer, go for a walk. Yeah. Like the best thing I can do for my mental health. Well, I remember in AJ Swoboda's book, Glorious Dark. Yep. I think you recommended this to yep. me, but the image of Jesus on the cross being handed a numbing agent. Yeah. And he refuses, you know, the whatever wine or whatever that would dull his senses in the most excruciating time of Jesus' life, he refuses because he's walking through the fullness yeah. of that. And I think he used that as an example of how that is our go-to, that when we enter into difficult situations and scenarios, we go to the numbing agent. The, right. We turn on Netflix. We um, go to substances. Um, we scroll. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a balance too, because 
when you're anxious about something, like I, let's say I'm worried about my kids for whatever reason, there's a part of that that's like a healthy thing. Like hmm. I should, I should be concerned. When it becomes unhealthy, I think is when it becomes an obsession or like a a paralyzing fear. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think that's one of the things in our culture we want to protect our family. That's instinctual. Um, but there's also a part, and I really all my examples here and parenting, but like there's a part of letting go and um, trusting God with the details of like there are certain things we can't control. Yeah. Like at some point we come to realize we aren't the center of the universe and the world doesn't revolve around us. And ultimately there will be things outside of our control. We can't play puppet master in every area of our life. So it's a surrendering. It's a, a giving up control and uh, finding peace and, and spaces where we can find peace in the midst of it. Um, yeah. And I, you know, thinking real practically, you know, the person who was courageous enough to ask this uh, question, you know, this is not a question that most folks don't want a answer in the clouds about, right? right? This is like, I'm anxious. My thoughts, yeah. you know, are so negative. I beat up on myself. And what I would probably say to that person and as one who's walked in that place is anxiety, like from a scientific perspective, it it makes us want to protect ourselves from others. Like it shuts mm. our brain down. And the I would think the most beneficial um anecdote that or um antidote, the thing that that is a solution is community yeah like christ-centered community and so it's the thing that is most is most difficult to be open and vulnerable with another but it's also probably the most important and so i you know if you're there and you're thinking gosh i'm just really wrestling with this to find a community and a space in which you can be open and honest and have healthy people to walk alongside you, to point you to Jesus. Um, you know, the Bible talks about um, praying for one another. The prayer of a righteous person will be heard that, the, that there will be healing that takes place when there is uh, community. Um, you know, I think about um, do not be anxious about anything, but um, in prayer and supplication, present your requests. To the yeah. Lord. So like find a community in which you can be open. You can name these things specifically. You can name them in a safe place and be encouraged to be prayed for um, is, is really, really important when it comes to this. It's good. Thanks for sending in that question. Um, and I would encourage that person. If you want to reach out and want to have a conversation, uh, would love to chat further. Um, before we enter the next question, let's have a coffee break. Yeah, everybody. Okay. Uh, what do you think about the Bulletproof coffee? Uh, it's interesting. Yeah. Kind of smooth and creamy. Smooth and creamy. I'm feeling, you know, I'm in it. Uh, I still drink the Red Alerts. Yeah. Red Alert, that has like, what, three times the amount of caffeine? <laughs> it's I, like some genetically modified bean. <laughs> 
I went on uh, Google and I said, I want a Keurig cup with like more caffeine so I don't have to drink more cups of coffee. I remember the first day you got that and I came in and you had your desk over your head and you were spinning around in circles. And we're like, Matt, what are you doing? And you just looked at me and went, run alert, run alert, run alert. <laughs> Listen, it's so funny in hindsight because I stopped drinking it for a while. Yeah, you and... probably like came back to earth, started sleeping again. Well, it's funny because I got more present so, with your just, kids and your family. For a long time, this was after Emma was born, coffee was not something to be enjoyed. It was something to be used as a tool to like get through the day and get energy. And so I quit drinking that for a while and I started like enjoying coffee again. And now when I drink it, it tastes so bad. Like, it, <laughs> sorry, Red Alert, we're not doing an ad for you. But uh, you are not good tasting. Uh, so this this podcast sorry, is not sorry. endorsed uh, by not Red Alert endorsed coffee. by Red okay. Alert. It is endorsed by Bulletproof Coffee. Bulletproof. Use okay. Promo code uh, Matt Coffee. Bullet questions. Yeah. Here we go. Next question. This is a question. Since I have my brother on, I'm going to answer one question from our mother. Okay. Yes, the woman. Oh, Hula Bula Jula. Hula Bula Jula, who raised us and who is my most faithful podcast listener. Hey, mom. Question is this, what is the difference between spirituality and Christian spirituality? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know either. <laughs> That's a good question. I think the question yeah. underneath it a little bit, uh, maybe we could phrase it this way. Like what, what are the distinctives yeah. of Christian spirituality? No, like what makes Christian spirit spirituality distinct? And I'll put, Pivot this to you since you yeah. are a master of formation, oh, spiritual formation. Well, and I, you know, the better question probably is what is spirituality? Yeah. Right. Like that word has so many meanings mm -hmm. in culture. You know, we have like, I'm a spiritual person. Yep. Like, what the heck does that mean? You know, what, uh, what is spirituality? And I, I will say, you know, I'd probably lean into, what I learned in the program, specifically some of the work from Ronald Rollheiser. Mm. He's a, I believe a Roman Catholic theologian who's written on spirituality and formation. And what he talks about is um, every person is spiritual and has a spirituality. He calls it, era, he uses the, 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 the word eros, mm. like E-R-O-S, like the, this fire within us. And spirituality then is what we do with our eros, with our passion, with our fire. Mm. So every person has this, this fire within them. And we either have habits and disciplines and rhythms that more integrate us into God's world, into relationship with others, into um, even our own self-understanding um, and differentiation, or we have habits and disciplines and routines that disintegrate us, that, mm. that um, are more negative and bring us more into chaos. And so Spirituality then, and I would say maybe Christian spirituality is that process is, is understanding how do we make our 
fire inside us more in tune with the way God has intended and like live the life uh, of fullness that he's intended. So that would be maybe a thought. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you think? That's really good. I, I was, I, honestly, my thoughts went to this crazy podcast I listened to. Um, you heard of Teal Swan? No. I'm excited though. <laughs> it's a it's a internet black hole, but she's this like spirituality influencer on mm. YouTube, who was the, the whole podcast was sort of like a investigative journalist was trying to figure out what's going on with this person because allegedly multiple people, uh, sadly, had taken their lives while under her spirituality sort of things. Wow. She's not Christian. She's some very strange fringe spirituality. Um, and I guess one of the reason I was thinking about that is uh, I think in our culture, spirituality is seen as something to be consumed. And like we have like so many podcasts, influencers um, who who want something more, right? Yeah. There, there's a there's a spiritual energy they want to tap into and they want to share that with others, but it's unhinged from anything that has foundation because if you boil it down in the christian faith like at its core it's about loving others it's about servanthood it's about laying your life down for someone else and there is a foundation uh, by which i think christian spirituality flourishes from and jesus lays out for us i think um ways in which we can we can live that out and so i guess i that would be my thing that when i say what is the difference between the two, I would say, well, one of them has a foundation and a person yeah. by which we model everything around. Whereas spirituality unhinged from anything, I just think it'd be dangerous. Yeah. And, I, you know, so much of, our, of the language around spirituality is in this, like, my spirituality is my own yeah. inner, it's like my you know, very nebulous, very nebulous. And I think the Christian version of spirituality and the definition that we see and the, even the way we think about our bodies and our minds and our souls and our spirit, yeah. there's this integration in a healthy Christian life that says, I don't have this little spiritual bubble part of me, mm-hmm. but my whole life is acting out is, is, participating in my spirituality it's all part of it there is a a grittiness a realness to it it is not just a private entity but it is found in relationship with others it is found in community it is found it is lived out in um in far more ways than just like well i'm a spiritual person so yeah that's good i got a got a quote i'm gonna slap on you yeah Tara Isabella Burton, um, she calls it in one of her articles, the unbundling of religion. Uh, in the same way, uh, it's, it's like kind of like she explains it like streaming TV shows, right? We watch a little blonde Netflix, a little Hulu, the Disney Plus, HBO, Peacock. Uh-huh. I'm forgetting a bunch. But like um, in the same way, religion and spirituality may be um, a little bit of Buddhism meditation, some mindfulness. You may hear that word a lot. 
uh, a little yoga on the side, the religion of self-care. And then she writes this, the idea is that we want what feels good to us, what we desire, that all of this is uh, constitutive of who we are rather than community. We risk seeing spirituality as something we can consume, something yes for us, something for our brand. It's almost as if, you know, it's, she's a lot smarter than me. Um, it's almost as if like spirituality is a means to promote self in a way, yeah. as opposed to like radical community. Because I think, I think at the core of a healthy Christian spirituality, that is one that is deeply rooted in community. Um, it has to be. Uh, and I think that's what our culture, specifically Gen Z, millennial cultures of loneliness, like are desperately missing. Yeah. Um, anyway. This is really good. Good question, Julie. I hope we answered it. Uh, coffee break. Oh, yeah. Got some, I got, I got a little nutmeg. Yeah. A little hazelnut. Maybe, maybe just a, a hint of vanilla. Yeah, it's a, it's, mine's got kind of like a nice hot bean water feel to it. So it's... Oh, yeah. Hot bean water. Okay. That was so, <laughs> so weird. Uh, moving on. Next question. Um, we're just cooking. We're just cooking right yeah. along. Cooking yeah. like I was cooking those lamb shakes back lamb in culinary shakes. school. And... Uh, so what's the next question, Matt? <laughs> Here you go, ready? How do I create better habits as a leader? This was asked by someone from our office. Oh. Who really enjoyed your talk on habits mm. and wanted you to pontificate on it further. Wow. That's neat. Yeah. How do we create better habits as a leader? Well... So the talk that um, I asked the questions referring to, I, I was referring to the work of a man named B.J. Fogg. Such a sick name. Oh, yeah. B.J. Fogg. I mean, destined for greatness. But he's a, just a scientist, a sociologist, studying specifically um, human behavior. And specifically in the realm of like habit making and he his conclusion and this is just we're talking the specifics of habit making is um to create to successfully create a new habit he puts it down into three uh three steps Let's see if i can remember them. first one break the intended behavior down into the most uh the tiniest version of it right so his book is called tiny habits. So he uses the example of flossing his teeth. Instead of, if you want to floss your teeth every day, instead of starting with flossing your, all your teeth, you floss one tooth. Oh. Make it the tiniest because you're trying to um, uh, make the motivation mm. as small as possible. Like it is so easy to just floss one tooth. Okay? Yep. Second thing is you put it after something you're already doing. So if you already brush your teeth every day, then you do after you brush your teeth, you floss one tooth. Lastly, um, and I think that's just because then it's on your mind yep. and you don't have to like create something. And lastly, 
Um, then there's an act of celebration. So you like need to look at yourself and go, well done, good buddy. Or um, give yourself a pat on the back. Yeah. And so you begin to associate positive outcomes with this habit. The goal then is when you've cho- chosen this, that you don't miss a day. You know, so if it's every time you brush your teeth, after you brush your teeth, you do floss one tooth, you just keep going. And then as you are successful with that, you build on it, right? So you do two teeth, three teeth, and pretty soon, I don't remember how many days it takes, but you've built a habit. Um, so that was kind of the idea of that yeah. habits um, uh, message. But what, the, the direction I took on that is comparing it a bit to our participation in the kingdom of God, Mm. how the kingdom comes about often in tiny ways, right? The kingdom is like a mustard seed planted in a field um, that often when we think about what we need to do, and specifically, I think this probably matters with leaders, what we ought to do as leaders, we think so big. Yeah. That if we need to make a difference, if we, if we want to do something um, profound for the kingdom of God, we think so big. And I think one of the invitations of the kingdom is to start really small and trust that God can um, multiply that. So, you know, um, I use the example of in a season of my life when I was, uh, in fact, dealing with some inner negativity and anxiety, I felt just an invitation to go um, on a morning walk. Now, this would be a centering way for me to just put my mind on Christ, to dwell on um, his promises and his narratives. And so when I decided to do this, I kind of had the tiny habits idea in my mind. And instead of saying every morning, I'm going to go walk two miles, I started, no joke, getting up, walking to the end of my driveway and back. I mean, it took me about 30 seconds. And, but I, I continued it. Since it was so small, I continued it. So it started like that. And then pretty soon it was to the end of the block and back. And then it was around the block. And it became, for a few month period of my life, um, a habit in which I was going on a nice yeah. walk. But it built up to that. And in that walk, I would, uh, I would recite uh, the Psalm 23. And it became, I memorized it. So I use that example because later on, I, uh, I was on a walk with my daughter, Lois, and I started teaching her Psalm 23, and she started to memorize it. And... For me, I'm, this, that was a beautiful moment. I'm like, I, I, this is, you know, I get to part the, the wisdom, the, the love of God, the, the idea of who he is with my daughter on this walk. What a gift. But it didn't start there. It started two years before when I yeah. went on this tiny walk. It was, and God, in his faithfulness, was able to multiply the effect of that. Yeah. And so for leaders, I wonder... What are the tiny habits or whatever? What are the things that you could start doing or stop doing yeah. um, 
in order to be more effective and faithful as a leader. That's really good. I was, I'm thinking back to my conversation with Rob Ramsire, who is works at the same university you work at. Um, but one of the things... Rob was awesome on here, by the yeah, way. Yeah, one of the things that Does was come fun, back? Um, as, as we were sort of talking and thinking, we talked a lot about... You know, people in prominence, and especially in Christian leadership, when they when they fall, have a moral yeah. failing or or whatever. One of the things that what happens often is that their influence outgrows their character. Yeah. Right. They're they're rising. They're being seen by hundreds and thousands of people, and and people hold them to this very very high pedestal. And when their character isn't cultivated, like ultimately the weight of that, there comes a point where God may humble you. Um. And I just think like habits. I remember reading Atomic Habits. I listened. I, yeah, I say read. That's it. kind of the, the big to, one too. To clarify, I my wife always says you didn't read it. You listened to a blink. So I do Blinkist. So it's like fourteen minute versions of the actual. Hey, book. that's fine. So I did a blink on Atomic Habits. Betsy will call me out. So yeah, okay. she listens. Hi, Bets. Okay. So I listened to a blink, and what I remember one of the chapters talks about how habits. The metaphor uses like a tree. It's like every single little decision is a root that eventually, after a while, like habit stacking, like after you you have all these roots that grow into something over time, over a long period of time, that has like a really firm foundation. And yeah. I think that's true of our character. Wow. It's like every little thing that we do is cultivated in our being. And I think back to the... So, I mean, so Dal- I think it's Dallas Willard would define character as habituated will. That is... Which is exactly really what good. you're saying. Right. That, yeah, it, we think of it, character or virtue as this like ethereal process, but yeah. it is our habits. It yeah. is our intentional practices that over time become so solidified in who we are that it defines us. That's really good. I was thinking back to uh, Henry Nowen's work where he talks so much out of uh, living out of our being mm-hmm. as opposed to in our culture, uh, we define by our doing what we accomplish, what we do. Yep. And he, he uses the image of Jesus in the desert. Um, where before he goes in the desert to be tempted um, by the evil one, he he uh, is told by God the Father and called the Beloved. Yep. And so living into our being as the belovedness and cultivating our being by little things, tiny practices, information, in, in tandem and work with the Holy Spirit um, is how we, we, we cultivate that inner being. And in that inner being, is what a lot gives us the ground and, and firmness to, to withstand temptation, to withstand uh, anxiety seasons, anxiety and inner negativity. That inner negativity. It makes me think back to what we were talking about yeah. earlier. It, Jesus, yeah, it was rooted in the narrative. I am a beloved son of my father. And then when he goes and experiences one of the, you know, a really difficult temptation, he stands strong on his narrative of who he is and scripture, right? Because he mm. quotes scripture. And those scriptures are narratives. They're narratives about what is true in the world. Yeah. And that is what he stands on. Um, so I don't know we're, we're on a different question. No. But circling back to that, you know, to, to immerse yourself in the true narratives of who you are and um, who God is. And we do that 
in community and through God's word. Um, so anyways, but back to leadership. Yeah, no, that's, no, that's good. Let me ask you this. <clears throat> what is one habit? I know you shared the walking morning yeah. habit. Give me another habit that you practice uh, or at least have developed in the last few years that has been really good for your um, growth as a leader, as um, just something, some, some change you've made or yeah. something. Yeah, a few that come to mind. Um, one, yeah, so I, we did this practice in the program that I was part of, of um, developing a rule of life. Yeah. So rule of life is just a way of thinking intentionally about how we order our days, weeks, months, years. And so within that, there are some habits and disciplines that I'm, I've attempted to keep. And I think I've been some more successful at some than others. Um, but one is, uh, every two weeks. So, uh, you know, this is maybe not a daily habit, but it's, uh, it's a, uh, I meet with a group of guys and, uh, we call it dude storm. Oh yeah. Pretty, pretty fun. But it's an intentional time where we get together and we seek for the activity of God within the other's lives. So we, Mm. we ask the question, um, we, we, we kind of break bread together. Um, we say the Shema, and then we uh, ask the question, where is God moving in, around, and through you? And then we take about two hours. I mean, each person usually takes about 30, 45 minutes, and we discern God's activity in our life, and then we are given a chance to ask questions. And to be, ask some pretty pointed questions. Yeah. Um, so, But that's like a really intentional time of community and of, just getting vulnerable with one yeah. another is a really been an important habit. Um, another one uh, for me, habits wise, um, let me think. The um, w- there's this uh, idea of um, so on Mondays I'm like a kind of scattered. I want to mm-hmm. get after it, start doing stuff. Um, start working on whatever is in front of me. Building the habit of carving out Monday mornings as a real intentional time to be thinking through the week ahead. Yeah. As a leader. Balcony time. Balcony, yeah. You go Mark DeVries, right? Um, But that has been a really generative space for me because I now have this list of things, uh, of goals, of reminders, um, I have this quote, this mess or a verse from the message that talks about just work and what it means to, to work. Um, I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, but in that balcony time, in that time, I have this really intentional space where I think through what is it that really matters this week? And can I make sure I carve out space for those first? One of the things is am I spending time with Kelsey and the kids this week? <laughs> yeah. And it's hard because there's weeks where you go, I have something every night this week. Yep. And then it becomes, I have to give up this afternoon to like be with my family because yep. that's a priority. Um, but had I not taken the time at the beginning of the week to do that, it would just go by. I wouldn't know. Yep. Um, so I don't always hit that right. Kelsey's like probably listening to this and going to be like, yeah, you don't hit that. But um, it is it is something that I intentionally try to do. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, yeah, there's a few more. Um, 
we can think about. But no, that's, good. Uh, in, that's really helpful. I think that one one more note on this topic. You talked about how important our character is. Mm-hmm. This was something that was paradigm shifting for me in a program. Um, pastor of Jacob's Well mm-hmm. in Kansas City. He, his name is Tim Keel. He is teaching on Christian leadership, but I think it would apply to Christians in leadership in any capacity. What he said was, we typically look at like how we operate in four quadrants. We have our um, knowing, our knowledge, our doing, like our craft, our um, technique. We have our being, who we are, and then we have relating, the way we relate, the way we um, work with others. Mm. And what he said, which is so fascinating to me, is in our Western mindset, in our like um, good is the enemy of great type of mentality, we spend all of our time in the knowledge and doing quadrant. Those are what we value, right? Right. We value those who are experts in their field, who can accomplish. Mm. And this is what he said. He goes, 90% of ministry takes place in being and relating. I mean, that to me, that was like, what, 90%? Yeah. We spend so much time learning new strategies, more efficient models of ministry. I don't know, Matt, you remember going to those youth ministry conferences where it's like they hand you these packaged ministry models that were so anxiety producing because you're always feeling like we're not doing what's most effective, what's best in the world. And he goes, 90% of what we do is who we are and how we're being formed into the character and likeness of Jesus and then how we relate to others. You know, I feel like I'm having a uh, like an aha moment right now. I think you put words to because you and I, I kind of had an awesome what was it eight year run? In oh yeah, ministry, oh yeah, at Eastminster. Totally. And that's that breaks a lot of the stereotypes of turnover in youth ministry. And I think about like why why was it that for me being able to to last ten years and at the end of it, you know, come out the other side and, and sort of transition out of that. But I think like it was the relational piece yep. that, that both of us were gifted at in, mm. in a lot of ways. I think that's part of what led to, to a lot of longevity and a lot of success because quite frankly, I'm not great at the strategy, big picture, um, like th- I think about that stuff a lot and I like that stuff, but really that's not where I, my sweet spot. And I, and I really think like perhaps part of the longevity is rooted in, in, in that. I don't know. I'm just thinking about that for the first time. Yeah. It's really, I, it's really interesting. Cause I, you're right. We spend so much time thinking about the how yep. and the what our methodology and our philosophy that sometimes the why and the, even just getting down to the roots, um, that's really interesting. Well, and it, you know, it goes to the conversation, which you may have talked about this in other podcasts, but when you look at the like celebrity church yep. model, where you have these incredibly efficient and shiny yep. ministries with a charismatic, dynamic 
leader. Yep. But then the talent outpaces the character of the leader. You have tragically these failures, these moral failures, these, and what that does to people's faith and the kingdom. Devastating. It's devastating. And I know like sometimes the little church with 50 people and the faithful pastor for who's been there for 40 years, it's not that shiny. Yep. But I, I think it's necessary. I think and it's, there's beauty to it. And I'm not opposed to like big church or anything nope. or, or good programs or efficient programs. Yeah. But there has to be, we have to be leaders who are leading out of our own formation in Christ, our own um, secure identity in Jesus and let that spill over rather than creating something that is unsustainable because our character doesn't match. Boom. Brother. Brother. Raise a glass. Hey. To a great 45-minute conversation. Wow, 45. I know, it goes fast. Yeah. I was going to ask another question, but I'm like, you were just cooking. Hey. Patrick Mahomes. The bulletproof. The, the bulletproof hit. All right. Yeah. Kirk Cousins. Kirk, yeah, you're right. Why am I, yeah. Come on now. Kirk Cousins. You like that? The, you like that? <laughs> Justin Jefferson. Yeah. Thank you for Skull coming Vikings. On the Go Vikings. Sorry, Packers. Sorry, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. It's a good time to it's be on top of the yeah. NFC North. What do you have the rest of the day, brother? Um, that's a great question. I need to figure out. I've got some meetings today. I've got another podcast I'm likely recording um, with our friend Jordan Greer. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a good day. It's awesome. So thanks again for coming in. Um, Remember to send in your questions, the better questions at eastminster.org, or you can go to our website, eastminster.org slash better questions. Thanks again for joining us. Mike, thanks for coming in. This was a great conversation. We'll see you next time. Grace and peace.